And so this week we continue our, our series in Contend for the Faith, a series in the book of, of Jude. It's just a, a short letter, obviously, but it is, it is literally one of those that is just packed with, with information. And he told us last week what we saw, that we are to contend for the faith. He doesn't say be contentious, but to contend for the faith. And now that faith is the true faith, the faith of love, of joy, of peace, the faith of salvation, the faith that that recognizes and exalts the name of Jesus Christ. And so when we contend for the faith, we're not contending for ourselves to be right. We are fighting for the kingdom of God And when we fight for the kingdom of God, we have to fight as a member of the kingdom of God and thus therefore representing the kingdom of God. And when we represent the kingdom of God, we need to be good ambassadors for the kingdom of God. And so we don't fight as the world fights. When he says contend for the faith, he means we're doing it in spiritual ways. We're doing it in ways that glorify the name of Jesus Christ. And really that first that, that kind of front-line battle that's going to happen when we have to contend for the faith is always going to be against false prophets and teachers. There are always going to be teachings, philosophies, and people who push them that are going to be contrary to the Word of God. Okay? Every age, every location, every generation of church believers This is something that we have to learn to contend against. No generation, no Christian, nobody is immune from this. Jesus said, beware false prophets. They come to you as wolves wearing sheep's clothing. Outwardly, they look fine. (laughs) Inwardly, they are ferocious, ravenous wolves who seek to devour you. We all will have to deal with this in one way or another. And so it's not any wonder that Jude goes straight to this place to talk about false teachers and false prophets as he tells his readers to contend for the faith. And one of the big things on this is just learning to recognize them. Learning to recognize them. Because we saw last week, what did he say? He said, some have crept in unnoticed. If they are wearing sheep's clothing, then that doesn't mean that we're always going to be able to recognize them immediately. Very rarely, hey, it does happen sometimes, and it's almost humorous when it does, but very rarely does somebody come in with a banner of false teaching saying, follow me, I'm going to lead you astray. Every now and then somebody's that bold, and it's, like I said, it's kind of humorous then, because we're like, ah, no. No, they normally sneak in unnoticed, They build trust, they build relationships, and then they start to cast seeds of doubt on the Word of God, and they start to lead in other directions incrementally. And there will always come a point that their teaching will be exposed as unbiblical, and we have to make a decision of do we follow or not. And that's what it is to contend for the faith, is to say, no, I will stay with the gospel. And so how does Jude describe these people? He goes straight to the heart. And it's a pretty rough description, okay? And it's something when we understand this, 
it helps us to recognize false teachers. And some people might look at this and say, well, he's being pretty harsh here. I say he's being truthful. And so listen as we start in Jude 8, and we're just going through verse 10. And it says, yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Whew. Now, that's a rough description. And the first thing that we see in this is that he shows what is their source of truth. What is your source of truth? Where do you go when, when the world doesn't make sense, when people don't make sense, when you look in the mirror and it doesn't make sense, when, when we, everything is in doubt, where do you go to make sense of the world? Everybody has that secret place that they go to. And what we have to ask ourselves is, is that secret place of God or is it of the flesh? There is no in-between. It's one or the other. If it's of God, it will bear a certain kind of fruit. If it's of the flesh, it will bear another kind of fruit. And the fruit is unmistakable. And so what Jude wants us to understand is he says something really important here. Because he says these people relying on their dreams. You see, they don't look to revelation of truth, which is what we have in the Scripture. Okay, God has revealed truth to us. Otherwise, we wouldn't know it. We would not know what truth is apart from the revelation of God, the self-revelation of God, okay? One of the things that happens in humanistic thought and has been going on in our culture for, for generations, okay, hundreds of years, humanistic thought is the idea that the human mind can ascertain and grab hold of truth on its own. You know what? We can't. We will not find truth apart from the revelation of God. God has to give us truth. Now, he says, Jesus said what? He says, follow me, you'll know the truth. Truth will set you free. But notice, he put a location on that. He said, follow him. He will teach us truth. Why? Because he is the greatest revelation of God. He is God incarnate, and he is the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. And so we have to look to revelation of truth, not our own imagination. And that's what Jude sets up here is revelation versus imagination. If we go into ourselves, and how many have heard that? Oh, just, just trust your gut. Look, look deep within. Look, the truth is within. Let me tell you, the truth is not within. All that's within is a sinful nature that will rebel against God. That's all that is in there. Truth is without. Truth exists outside of us. Truth is found in Jesus Christ. 
And we have to look to him to know truth. And so they, they don't look outside themselves or go beyond themselves to define truth. What happens when we do this? Well, one, nobody is infallible. So our ideas of truth that we self-generate, however noble they may be, will fall short. They will always fall short. At some point, we will believe a lie. At some point, we will accept less than what God wants, than what God has revealed. You see, where do we get imagination from? If you're going to write a story and use your imagination to write that novel, what are you going to draw from? Your experiences. That's it. That's all you have. You'll draw from your own experiences. You'll draw from your own feelings. And so that story, that's why people like different authors over others, right? Because they can relate a little bit better because their experiences kind of match their own and, and they're able to speak to things in a different way. The problem with that is when we are talking about truth in that situation, truth determined from dreams will always reflect us more than anything else. It will reflect our own mind. It will reflect our own desires more than it will reflect the actual truth. This is the natural state of man. This is what we will do every single time when left to ourselves. Why? Because the consequences of sin are real. In the book of Romans, it tells us that for although they knew God, Romans 1, 21 and 23, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became what? Say the word. Futile. What does that mean? Trekkies, what does it mean? Resistance is futile. Come on. I know you're in there. Yeah, I know you're in here. It means it's pointless. It means it's pointless. There's no, and it says their minds, they became futile in their thinking. Now, we don't want to believe this. We love the enlightenment of man, and we love to, to think of what we've accomplished. I mean, you know, we, we invented an airplane, and we put people on the moon, and look at all that we've done. And you know what? That's great, but it's all still based in this world. And it doesn't come close to the eternal truth of God. And so it says they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, which means we lost sight of the truth. We got to where we didn't even recognize it anymore when it was there. And it says, claiming to be wise, they became fools. And exchanged, and here's where it happens, exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, I love what, what, what Paul said about worship there, because it is, it's, worship is, it, it's our whole theme for 2023 of reaching. Worship is about reaching for more than we are. Reaching uh, outside of ourselves, above of ourselves to God. Reaching for that which is greater than us. And so, yes, we always sing and worship about things we've not yet accomplished. You know why? Because Jesus accomplished it for us. And we worship him for that. We, we want to know more truth. So we sing and worship and we read the scripture searching for that truth that is greater than we are. But if we are not focused on God, that 
inborn nature that God gave us to worship will reach to something. And how horrible, how awful is it when that which we reach for is not greater than ourselves, but actually less than? You see, he he tells us something interesting. When he says we exchanged the glory of the immortal God, so that is the the glory that is unending, and, and it's this upward reach that can never end, that can always, there's always more. So we can always go to God and find something else. We can always go to God and be fulfilled in a new way. God is infinite. And that is the glory of God that he wants us to share. He wants to share it with us. And says they exchanged that for images resembling mortal man. We won't even worship what's real. When we don't worship God, we won't even worship what is real. But it says an image resembling mortal man, birds, animals, and creeping things. I want you to think about that. Paul says, notice he says, exchanged the glory of the immortal. It is one, it is worship of the unreal. It doesn't say worship of man. It says worship of the image resembling man. So we'll get some kind of weird idea in our head that's actually less than the real thing. And what does it start? It starts a downward trend. Notice he said it starts with images resembling mortal man. So the best we could hope for when we don't worship God is a horizontal reach. And we don't even do that. We even get that wrong. That's depressing to me. We even get that wrong. We can't even reach horizontally correctly. It's always lowering the bar to something worse. Every single time. And so it says an image resembling mortal man, but then what does he say? Birds, animals, creeping things. Can you just sense humanity lowering the bar? You know, let's just dig a hole and get it so low we just trip over it. You know, that, that's what he's saying that we do. And this is what we'll do by nature. We, we won't even have to try. This is just what will happen. This is what makes false prophets and false teachings so dangerous. Because the true gospel says we need to repent, which is turn away from dead works, and reach towards heaven. Reach higher, get outside of yourself, turn away from that which is death to life. Turn to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins and was resurrected in glory and is seated at the right hand of God. Now tell me, that is elevated language saying, look, get out of the gutter and go to the glory. Make the reach. But false teachings will always say, no, look inside yourself and find a desire that you really want, and focus so much on that that you forget who you are, and nothing else in the world matters, and you're going to focus so much on this that now you are willing to sacrifice yourself and even those around you to have it. And that is lust that becomes unfulfillable. You know why? Because we are created to worship 
the unlimited, infinite God, and he can provide it. He's the only one that can provide it. And so when we lower that gaze, and even if we did get it right horizontally, we'd worship each other, and you know what? That would be a problem because I'd let you down. You'd let me down. We'd just kill each other. That's why we had to eat. We we figured out that's not going to work. So we have to have this idealized version of something that doesn't even exist, and we worship what isn't real. And Satan will always get us to chase that which is not real. You know why? Because it's an endless pursuit that is a clutching after the wind that can never be fulfilled. That is the, the key to the deception. That is the thing in the deception. That is the hook that he gets us with is that we chase something that could never be. It couldn't exist under any circumstance. It will never be. And we see it on display. Every time, every time Satan tempts somebody in Scripture, we see it on display. Adam and Eve, you can be like God. No, you can't. They would never be like God. Under no circumstances were Adam and Eve ever going to be like God. And so we got him chasing a phantom that did not exist. And what happens when we do that? It starts the downward trend. It will get baser and baser and baser. And so what does he say? He, he says that, that as we do this, it's images resembling mortal man, which is the horizontal, but then it's even downward. And then he says birds, animals, creeping things. We will start to live a life far below the standard God wanted for us. We will think of ourselves not as made in the image of God, but as animalistic. A victim of our own desires, unable to control, entitled to whatever desire might crop up. We just have to, we have to indulge it because that is the meaning of life now, is to indulge whatever feeling arises. What a horrible existence, enslaved by your own heart that is darkened, separated from truth, a mind that is futile and only thinking up worthless things. And that's what life becomes. And that's why Jude said that they rely on their own dreams. Relying on their own dreams. And when we do that, we will know who these false teachers are because the fruit reveals the source. What does it lead to? You see, over and over in Scripture, the great promise of the gospel is, what does the gospel promise? Anybody, what does the gospel promise us? Eternal life. Oh, life, that's a good thing. Eternal life. What else? What else does the gospel promise us? Salvation, eternal life. What else? Love, love, forgiveness, mercy, all of the things that deep inside we're like, man, if people could just be a little better to each other, the world would be better. Everything we long for deep inside is provided in the gospel. But it requires one major thing first, and what is it? Get outside yourself. He said, repent. Repent. Deny yourself. Stop being a slave to your own desires, to your own mind. Understand you're broken and, and get away from that and turn to the truth. See, when we reject the truth, 
certain things will happen. And likewise, when we follow the truth, certain things will happen. It's guaranteed. A always leads to B. Negative A always leads to negative B. There there is no way out of this. Because when the mind cannot go higher than itself, it will naturally start to worship sensuality, as we talked about last week. And sensuality is that which is pleasing to the senses. And it will always take that sensual experience and try to push it to whatever limit it needs to get to to find fulfillment. And here's, again, fulfillment is not available through sensuality. It's not available. And how much do we damage ourselves in the pursuit of sensual fulfillment? Whether it's the lust of the eyes and beauty, whether it's, it's the lust of the flesh, whether it's pride, the pride of life, whatever. There, there are so many places on this. Don't just think that sensuality means sexual immorality. It doesn't. Now, is that always a natural outcome? Yes, in the extreme sense, it always goes there. Okay, just understand, all roads lead to one place, and Jude is getting there, (laughs) and he's letting us know that. And so, when the mind can't go higher, it becomes enslaved to sensuality at ever-increasing levels, so that the person's basest desires become the master of the person. And the fruit begins to show it. In in, in 2 Peter 2.19, he says, For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. This is a truth that we, our our world and our churches, just don't want to really focus on right now. What controls, what is the controlling agent in your life? No, that doesn't mean it's always bad. If, If the controlling agent in our life is the Holy Spirit and the truth of Scripture, then that means that God has overcome you. And you are walking a life that that is pleasing to God in faith. It doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means you're walking in faith. So that when you get out of faith, you're convicted and you turn away from it and you confess that sin to God and you, you go right back into it. It means you're aware when you're out of faith. What happens is when, when sensuality takes over, we are now enslaved to our own desires. We don't understand any different and so we begin to live for it. And we begin to believe things that aren't true. And we begin to act on those things. Chasing them. And you know what he says here? In Jude 8, he says it. He says they defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Defile the flesh. Self-destruction becomes part of it. False teachers and false prophets lead people into these things. They actively and purposely lead people to defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. Why? Because the glorious ones reveal what we are. The glorious ones, Jesus, and the the truth of Scripture reveal who we are and the darkness we live in. And when we are slave to sensuality, we don't need that truth. We don't want that truth. And so we will speak out against the light that exposes it. Except Paul said, love rejoices not with wrongs, but rejoices with the truth. And so what is the controlling agent in your life? Are you driven by your own desires? Are you driven by the things of God? Again, we're not talking checklist legalism perfection. 
the controlling agent is that which, what, what motivates you. When, you. when you wake up in the morning and you're going through your day then, are you seeking to please God or are you seeking to please yourself? Are you seeking to give something of your, your, yourself or, or to, to bring something to yourself? Because what happens is it says defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glory. They don't all happen at once. It's not like we wake up one day and we're like, okay, it's all about me today. And, and I'll destroy myself today and, and blaspheme God all in one day. This is it. This is my goal today. That's not what happens. But they all will eventually happen given enough time and distance when we live in that sensuality. Why? Because when sensuality rules a person's life, the flesh becomes something to be sacrificed to the false god of desire. What we worship will always require a sacrifice. That's what makes worship worship. And this is why the worship of God is so amazing, because the sacrifice has already been provided. Jesus died for our sins. The sacrifice is already there, so we can worship. So what sacrifice does it require us to worship God? Deny yourself. Get outside your own head. That is a sacrifice that is acceptable to God. Why does he say a broken heart and a contrite spirit, these are the acceptable sacrifices to God? Because when we mourn our own sin, that means the truth has come into us has illuminated the sin, and now we feel bad for it, and we bring it to God in true repentance, and God is like, yes, come to me, my child. Let me love you. Let me share my love with you. Let me share my spirit with you. Let me lead you into life. But when that is not the case, and sensuality rules a person, overindulgence is always required. Overindulgence. And what happens with overindulgence? We defile the flesh. Take your pick, whether drugs, alcohol, food, sex, any other sensual delight, the body will be offered as the sacrifice to that false God. Always. And so he says they defile the flesh. It's not a temple of the Holy Spirit to be cared for and loved and taken care of and offered to God as a living sacrifice. No, it doesn't say dead sacrifice, living sacrifice, which means God expects us to take care of ourselves. It's hard to be a living sacrifice if we're dead. Living sacrifice that we offer ourselves to God. No, sin requires that we sacrifice ourselves in the best of our lives to that which feeds the senses. And so listen to what Paul says in Romans 6.13. He says, do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You see, we find our purpose in life is to serve God. And so we, we take our hands and we use them to accomplish the things of God. There's a, there's a song by, by a Christian band that came out several years ago that I really enjoyed because it, it, it talked about being radical in your faith, but there was just a part in the song that he said, let not my mouth but my hand speak the glory of God. Should our mouth speak the glory? Yes, but he says, let not just my mouth speak the, the glory of God, but let my hands speak the glory of God. Let my life be something that reflects that God is present in my life. 
But Jude says that they will reject authority. You see, when we live for God, we put ourselves in the proper place. We reach and we see that God is in control and that he is the master and the king and that he is Lord and that we serve him. But if we're serving ourselves, then we have to say, no, I'm what matters and nobody can tell me what to do and thus reject authority. Because like it or not, we are created by God for God. In his image, God is our authority and we don't get a say in it. God never asked our permission for anything. You know why? Because he's in charge. Okay? And here's one of the things. The kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's not even a constitutional republic. The kingdom of God is a theocracy. Ruled by God, for God, to the glory of God. And we are a part of it. If you are born again, you are in the kingdom of God. But that means that we accept our rightful place as he's in charge, I'm not. In all things. Which means we submit ourselves to the truth. We submit our will, our desires, all of that. We deny ourselves and say the king rules, the king's word is final, and even though I want this, he has said no, therefore... The answer is no, I'll tell myself no and I'll get over it. And we see it as an exact opposite of what our world does. And false teachers, when we've got to contend for the faith, to bring this back around to Jude here a little bit, when we've got to contend for the faith, that's what we're going to be fighting. There will always be those who want to come in and say, oh, you know what, God just really wants you to be happy. Because he loves you and he accepts everybody as they are. You know what? That's actually false. God will accept everybody, but there is a condition to it. And what is it? Deny yourself and put your faith in Jesus Christ. You don't do that. God rejects you. And I need you to understand that. God rejects you. Anybody not in Christ, God says, no, I'm not having it. You are rejected. You are my enemy. Now, he has said, whosoever, what? Whosoever, whatever you want, just come to me and it'll work? No, what does he say? Whosoever believes. He put some conditions on this. So God is not just, I just accept everybody and everything all the time because I'm love and love means you accept everything all the time and never have any discernment. That is not the case. There are standards. And in fact, Paul believed this so much In Romans 3, 4, he said, let God be true, though everyone were a liar. (laughs) He says, whatever, God, I don't care if all of creation stood up and objected. God's going to say, overruled. Sit down. Doesn't matter. He is in charge. He says, let God be true, though everyone were a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. God is in charge. And so when we think of God and God's kingdom, God's word, and God's spirit, we have to take a back seat every time. And you know what? That's what worship is. It's us proclaiming, God, I'm going to stay in my lane. You own all the lanes. And I'm going to express that, and I'm going to worship it, and I'm going to celebrate the fact that I'm not in charge and that you are. 
Because he says if we don't, we will blaspheme the glorious ones. You see, our worship will turn into something that is actually repulsive to God and will be hostile to God. And I have seen it over and over in our world today. Worship services where people want to celebrate and say God is queer. That he is. And they say things like most holy and queer one. Now look, I'm not picking on a group of people. I'm just saying that is worship that is blasphemy against God. They are blaspheming the glorious ones. And God is paying attention to this. And so this is how Jude describes these people. These false teachers, these false doctrines that that come in, creep in unnoticed. And you see how easy it is because we will say, yes, God will accept everyone. If you believe. Just take that if out and say God is love and he'll accept everyone and now you're on the road to a false teaching. So we must contend for the faith and say no, God will accept you if you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow him. And Jesus died on the cross. He said we return that right back to Jesus every time we return it to the gospel every time and say this is our regulative principle. This is our guiding force right here and it will not change. This is what governs us. Because if we don't, we will end up shaking our fist at him in genuine blasphemy and feeling justified in doing so. These are the telltale signs of a false teacher. They start people down the road to destruction by appealing to the flesh, but their end is always the same. Always the same. And Jude tells us they are destroyed by their own minds. They will be the source of their own destruction. And it can't be anything else. Okay, listen again to what he says in verse 10. He says, but these people blaspheme all that they do not understand And they can't understand it because they have a futile mind. They have darkened understanding. So the very things they're going to blaspheme are the things that they need. And it says they are destroyed by all that they, such a horrible thing, like unreasoning animals. What did I say about that downward trend? Unreasoning animals understand instinctively. Look, we are not called to live by instinct. You know why? Because our instincts are terrible. Anybody figured that out? Our instincts are terrible. You know why? Because it's darkened. It's sinful. It's separated from God. It's rebellious to God. The flesh does not like to submit to God. And our instincts will guide us the wrong way pretty much every time. Which is why we submit ourselves to the truth of Scripture we, we call on the Holy Spirit and ask him to guide us. And that's where he says, I will give you the counsel. See, God knew. Jesus knew. He says, good that I go because I'm going to give you the counselor and he will guide you into all truth because your instincts are terrible. I've hung out with you for three years now and you haven't figured anything out yet. But that's okay. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and he's going to fix it. See, it's funny, but it's true. <laughs> the disciples were pretty much useless until the Holy Spirit came. That what happened then? They turned the world upside down. 
They turn the world upside down. You see, the Holy Spirit is what changes things in us, and it's no longer about our instincts. It's about the power of God inside us. And so false teachers, instead of growing people, they literally shrink people into themselves so that they understand less and less about what is true. That's what false teachers do. And the whole while telling them, isn't it great to be alive? And people search and search and search. And here's the, the, the horrible part of this is when that, when that system finally collapses on a person, and it always does, then they look at God and say, you failed me. And God says, I had nothing to do with any of that. That wasn't me. I've talked with enough people that have gone through that process and they say, I, can't, I just can't believe in God anymore because this and this and this. And I said, well, I don't believe in the God you just described either because that's not God. Let me tell you about the God of Scripture. Let me tell you about the truth and where this went awry and you believed a false gospel. Some people accept that, some don't. You find out where they're at really quickly at that point. And so there's a story in the Old Testament that illustrates this exact process clearly. So clearly, I had to share it with you today. It's in Numbers 11. And to set the stage, I want you to listen to Numbers 11, 1 through 8, and see if you can spot some of the stages Jude talks about, okay? Verse 1, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord. That's never a good thing in the Old Testament. And the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down. So the name of that place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Now the rabble that was among them, some people crept in unnoticed, okay, the rabble that was among them, had a strong craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, oh, that we had meat to eat. Now this is, they've come out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They've seen the Red Sea part. They have seen the pillar of fire and smoke going before them and after them. And they've seen God protecting them at every single turn. So it's not like they're just wandering in the desert, wondering what's going to happen next. And they had the greatest single blessing that they could have had in this moment. It says, oh, that we had meat to eat. And it says, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. All of that's a lie. Now, understand the power of this lie. They have convinced themselves that reality is not what it is. This is what false teachers do. They convince you of something not just untrue, but impossible. Something so out of step with reality that now believing it will literally destroy you. And so they're remembering their enslavement as some kind of fairy tale existence that never existed. And they say, but now our strength is dried up and there is nothing at all but this manna to look at. Now what is manna? Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people went about and gathered it and ground it in hand mill or beat it in mortars and boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell with it. 
So God is providing food out of thin air for them every night. And it's food that tastes good. It's food that is is versatile. They can do several different things with it. And they hate it. Now, how many of you, moms, you know, in here that cook, if you just were able to walk down to your kitchen every day and food just appeared, how many of you would be praising God in that moment? You would be like, amen, God, you are amazing. They are walking out into the desert and literally wherever they go, food just appears. Every day, just go out and get whatever you want. Just go get it. It's there. And what are they doing? They're blaspheming the glorious ones over it. False teachers will get you to hate the very blessings that God gives you. It will get you to hate the very good things that God has given you in your life. And get you believing that God is withholding something from you. And so... In verse 10, it says, Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans, everyone at the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Again, the uh, understatement of Scripture at times. So the middle of this story, just so we, because we got to get to the end, Moses finally goes to God, and he's like, God, I can't do this. These people are impossible. This, they're stiff-necked. This is, what did I do to deserve this? And God's like, you know what? You're, you're kind of right. So I'm going to provide some elders, go get 70 people, and I'm going to give of my spirit to them. And 70 elders are put in place, receive the spirit of God to help him manage this unruly people. And then after that happens, verse 31, then a wind from the Lord sprang up and it brought quail from the sea and let them fall beside the camp. About a day's journey on the side and a day's journey on the other side, around the camp and about two cubits above the ground. So God said, you want some meat? I'll give you some meat. And he buries them in dead quail. See, God has a sense of humor. And it says, let me find my place again. And and the people rose all that day and all night and all the next day and gathered the quail. Those who gathered least gathered 10 homers and they spread them out for themselves around the camp. For themselves. While the meat was yet between their teeth before it was consumed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord struck down the people with a very great plague. Therefore, the name of that place was called Kibroth Hadaavah, because there they buried the people who had the craving. Now, the Hebrew Kibroth Hadaavah means graves of craving. See, this whole process of the false teachers is on display right here. It says a rabble that was among them. There was a small group of people that raised up and was able to convince a mass of people that God had somehow wronged them by bringing them out of slavery, by providing food out of the thin air for them, by protecting them, by moving them to a place of a promised land where they could go. Somehow they saw all of this as bad and blasphemed God because of it, and yet he still hadn't struck him dead. And so then he provides the meat, and he provides it in such abundance that it's clearly God, and instead of thanking him, they just dive in and are like, it's a 
about time you gave us what we wanted. And God said, and I'm done. Game over. And he killed a ton of them. And you know what? That wrath was 100% justified. That is what false teachers do. They get us to dig our own graves of craving. And that's why Jude tells them their end is destruction. And false teachers will lead multitudes of people to their own destruction doing the same thing. So today I challenge you, ask, what is your governing principles in life? What guides you? Is it the scriptures? Is it the spirit of God? Do you look to God? Do you deny yourself? When you get off track, do you repent? We're all going to stumble. We will all sin and fall in various ways every day, but do we recognize it and say, God, it's my fault. I got out of line. I'm getting back in line now. Please forgive me because God will forgive you. God is faithful in that. He wants to forgive us, but we have to go to him. We have to do it his way. We cannot give in to desires and say, well, this is just who I am. No, God made you, he, you're reborn. It is not who you are anymore. And God is leading you out of that Egypt into a promised land. Don't look back with longing on what God freed you from. Look to the gospel, look to Jesus Christ, and you will always find freedom. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, God. We thank you that you have given us your word, that you have given us your spirit, that you have given us your son for new life. God, that we have the truth and can be set free. God, we pray that we would take full advantage of everything that you have given us, God, so that we can walk in faith and not by sight. God, that our, our, our governing force in our life would be your spirit, not our feelings. God, that we would trust you. That even though it may look scary, with you is the safest place that there is. God, teach us this principle of, of safety in your presence. Help us to see the manna that you provide for us daily and to be grateful for it. That we wouldn't lose sight of the blessings that you have given us. That we would contend for the faith and stand against any teaching that draws us away from the gospel. Lord, give us the wisdom and the strength and the boldness to do so. But in so doing, God, that we would contend for love, for truth, for patience, for peace. That we wouldn't fight as the world fights. We would fight for the kingdom of God as those who have gone from death to life. Bind us together by your spirit and unity in the gospel, Lord Jesus. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. Help us to love one another dearly because love covers a multitude.